And we're looking at the miracle today of the manger. Everything culminating in this moment. As, as we've looked at these miracles over the, of the past couple weeks that we celebrate at Christmas, we have talked about God orchestrating everything. And it wasn't like God was looking over His shoulder one day and said, well, I guess this day is as good as any to send Jesus. No, He had been working it out like a perfect composer, a, a, a perfect symphony to bring about this this dynamic pinnacle moment for Jesus to be made known that's why the Bible says in the book of Galatians that in the fullness of time in the completion of time at the perfect moment God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so to be adopted as his sons and daughters this is, this is what the book of Galatians tells us, that it was miraculous the very moment of how God brought this about. Not some ordinary day, but an extraordinary work of God bringing this conclusion. It was also miraculous in the fact that this message was God doing big, big things to say, I love my people and I love the world in I love them in a way to show that I will redeem them. That God was willing to do that which was more than words to communicate His message. And and He carries that out by sending a perfect child to grow as a perfect human being. To die a perfect substitutionary death for those He was seeking to redeem. That in itself is a miracle. God saying, I will not let my love be diminished or tarnished or muddy. I want it to be clear in the most dynamic, highest way love could be revealed. That is a miracle. We looked at the miracle of methods and how God entrusted these two peasant people to bring about His Son born in a peasant way in a small village that really in the grand scheme of things other than a few prophecies was not a well-known place they were not well-known parents it it was not a great time for the people in that day but it was god's perfect time it was god's perfect message and it was god's perfect method his means being used to reveal his perfect son but what about That baby in the manger. Why is that baby so miraculous? Why is that baby so celebrated? Why is that baby having songs still sung about him 2,000 years later? Why is that baby so special? What is so miraculous and extraordinary about that child? Well, today we're going to look at that. And see what the shepherds were seeing and what the angels were singing about and what Mary and Joseph were pondering about and what the, even parts of the world were missing out on but now have the ability to know and see as we shared in that video that people all the way in, in Korea are learning about the message and trusting in Jesus. Today we're going to look and see what it means. And see that that Jesus' miraculous birth, that child in the manger, it's going to bring this question up. Who is that baby? 
And is Jesus, that baby, who he really claims to be? Because if that's true, then that is a miracle of miracles. That changes everything. So I would like to ask you to stand with me as we honor God in the reading of his word. We're going to be looking at the opening of the gospel of John. Whereas Matthew spends time with the genealogy of Christ saying this was the, the heritage, the parentage that, that Jesus had that goes back all the way to Abraham. And while Luke would spend the time saying this is the, the angel visiting Mary and Joseph. And Mark says, hey, let's just get down to business. This is Jesus whenever he showed up on the scene. We're going to look at John. And John says later on, I want you to see the eternal thing of Jesus. He he didn't just step out. This is what he came from. It says in the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who were born, to, who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have spent time reading from Your words. They are holy, they are inspired, they are infallible, they are inerrant. And and this old preacher, he is not. But I pray by the power of Your Spirit, You would help us all to be learners from you today, from your word, according to your will. And I pray that you would help us to, to grow in our understanding of who you are and we would see what you have accomplished and why that is miraculous, why that matters so deeply, why we still celebrate and will continue to celebrate with our every breath. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray this prayer. Amen. You may be seated. So when we get into the text, our, our whole goal, as with any Bible study, not just on sermons on Sunday morning, our goal with any time in the Bible is to help us answer certain questions. First of all, what does the Bible say? It is important if you're going to study the Bible to have a Bible. 
to be that it's the Bible you're studying, not what someone else wrote about the Bible, although those can be good tools, not just what someone said about the Bible, although those can be insightful lessons. What we need to see is what the Bible says for itself. And we live in a beautiful place where we have this readily available. And and you may not like or, or prefer the version that we use here at this church, but there are plenty of English versions to go around for readers of different reading levels to, to spend time in. But we need to make the point that we say this is valuable what it says. And to be clear, it is one thing to say, I know the Bible is important. It is a whole other thing to be serious about it and say it's important enough to see what it says. I know many people that have very strong opinions about belief and faith and things of Christian tradition and Christian values. And yet, while they say it with their lives, they do not put the devotion that says, my life mirrors my words. So we need to see, what does it say? That's why we spend time saying our sermons need to be directed on what the Bible says, not mere opinions. We need to see, what does it mean? As the Bible came to us, it was completed almost 2,000 years ago. It was written over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents by 40 plus different men in three different languages. It is a combination of 66 books woven together. As such, it did not just drop out of heaven and and say, well, let me see what you need to see here today. No, it was given in a time and place with a specific meaning. And we never need to seek to change that meaning because it will not change. We need to see why God said these things in the time and place that He said them so that we will know how it affects our lives even yet today. Finding the meaning. John spent time in this moment and instead of doing what his counterparts had done as they researched and, and some of them were eyewitnesses, uh, we, he spent time saying, alright, those are, are perfect and well and good, but I don't want the readers in these years to miss out on the eternal nature of the one who came. We'll get into that a little bit further. But when seeing what the Bible means, then we'll begin seeing how it applies. You see, the Bible's meaning never changes, but it may apply uniquely in our personal circumstance. There may be parts where you're like, oh, I I have a really good firm grasp there that is rooted and deep and planted and flourishing in me. But there are going to be parts when we come across the Bible that it's going to prune. It's going to chisel. It's going to shape away and and say, this is where your life comes in to complement with God's direction. Some people may not be where you are and you may not be where they are. But as the meaning drives us towards God, we're going to see this application in our life. But lastly, our purpose in studying the Bible is to know God and to grow in our trust of Him. And so when we read it, we must ask, will I trust what God is going to say as I read it? As I find out what it means, as I see what it says and how it applies. And today we're looking at this question that's going to drive home for us as we think about all these miraculous works of God coming into place at Christmas time. We see that John pointing to who Jesus was says, don't you see? 
This baby was not just some ordinary baby. And I know that sounds really harsh. Because none of us would ever consider our babies just some ordinary baby. They're all extraordinary, right? Yes. Yes, they are. That's why we blow up the internet with our pictures. That's why we, we share when we get that new outfit. That's why we want to... Well, this week, I venture to say there will be many of you who will post videos of your kids opening Christmas presents. And guess what? Hundreds of thousands of other people will too. There's nothing extraordinary about that. It's extraordinarily meaningful to us. And it's extraordinarily meaningful to those that know us and our kids. But not to anybody else. But this is the big, big unveiling. If you think your child is extraordinary and you have such incredible love and devotion to him or her, this Jesus, this one revealed in the manger that was laid in a feeding trough, that was raised by peasants, He's infinitely more extraordinary. He's infinitely of more value. And you may think, wow, I, I, I don't know if I can agree with that. But this is what John is re- opening our eyes to see. That this was not no ordinary child. He wasn't just someone that would grow to be a very wise thinker or some radical revolutionary. He wasn't just someone that's going to go up and have uh, abilities beyond that of the normal human being. No, this was God, the eternal God, dwelling in the flesh perfectly. And that changes everything. His miraculous birth causes us to question To see a question I think every man must answer. Is Jesus who He claims to be? Who is this child? Well, let's see what the Scripture directs us to look at. First of all, it tells us to look at who Jesus is. If you're going to wonder who Jesus is, it's a good idea to see and look at who Jesus is. That's why the Gospels were given. These these four accounts... Luke, being a doctor, researches all the eyewitnesses and makes sure all the details are orchestrated and put together. Mark, being the the person that was a a follower under Peter and and was there at the upper room, as most people believe he's the one that ran away naked in the garden. Uh, That's a whole other story for another day. But he was there and he was eyewitnessing what was going on. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, a tax collector. And he starts looking at how all the laws applied to Jesus and how he fulfilled the prophecy. But John is saying, this child, I want you to know, this one that was here was God. He was the one that was there when it all began. The moment at that first Christmas was not the beginning of Jesus' story. The moment of His miraculous conception through the Holy Spirit was not when Jesus' life began. His earthly life began in those moments, but Jesus has always existed and He always will. He was there at the beginning, but He wasn't just there like somebody in the background that was like an understudy. That it really didn't have the main part. No, He was there and He was with God 
And He was God. It is hard for us sometimes to wrap our head around the fact that we have one God who manifests Himself equally, simultaneously as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, perfect in one. It's hard for us to grasp that. But nevertheless, this is something that is God-sized. This is something that is God-sized. And the writer is pointing and saying, this one that came is the one who has always been and the one who will always be because he's God. And he was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. You know, I love that because sometimes I was stuck in a statement and I'm like, what word should I use? Which one will, will be really easy to, to encompass it? And I love the Bible just says, let's just break it down. Things. All things. Don't, don't get flower with it. Everything God created. All things. You don't have to name them whatchamacallits or thingamadoosits or anything like that. It's things. And they were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. So the Bible says, when it comes to this miraculous question that every man must answer, is Jesus really who He came to be? It first says, go and look at Jesus. Really look at Him. See Him for who He is. For who the Scripture has pointed out that He is. And look at that. Let that be a part of letting that miraculous question bring about that miraculous reveal. That miraculous answer. Look at who Jesus is. Secondly, look at why Jesus came. Verses 4 through 5, it says, In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Why did Jesus come? Because as the one who was there at the beginning, the one who was God, He is the one that has the very power of life in him and if the wages of sin is death that takes away that life you need somebody else to give it to you again you need someone else that can restore it and i know some doctors in here you guys do incredible work i know some people in here that have that have given birth and, and brought about life but none of us none of us could create life and none of us can redeem it not in the way that jesus can none of us can work and bring about the miraculous touch of life a life that is a light in the darkness i love how the the apostle john whenever he's moved by the holy spirit to write these words about god being there in the beginning the very first thing that god creates is light amongst darkness and when it happens it is good because the lights come on and the darkness goes away it's pretty amazing how that happens. Whenever you go to your house and you click the switch and the darkness doesn't go away, what do you do? You're a little puzzled, right? Is something broken? Did someone forget to pay the light bill? Is there a fuse out? What's going on? Because we expect the moment the, the switch to go, darkness to dispel. It's just the nature of light. It's good in that way. The same thing is true with God, He comes about and once He makes the the declaration of light to be there, darkness cannot 
overcome it. Jesus came to be light and life where men were dying in darkness. That's why He came. So if you are looking at this miraculous question, is Jesus who He claims to be? First of all, look at who Jesus is, who the Scripture reveals Him to be, and see His origin story, but also look at the very nature of why He came. It was His sole purpose to do that which would bring life and light to this world in death and darkness. And no one could have done it better No one has done it better. No one will ever do it better than Jesus. Look at why some have trusted Jesus. The writer of the book of John talks about another guy named John. uh, And uh, he says that there was a, a person that was sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist, who was baptizing people in the Jordan River, came with a simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near, is, is now coming. He was, he was the wild-eyed, wild-haired, funny-dressed man out in the desert. But God had sent an angel to his parents and told them that this child that they would birth in their old age would have a special role to make ready the path for his Messiah. And so John had the pleasure of saying the light and life that is required for man is not found in me. It's not found in you. It's not found in your parentage. It's not found in your traditions. It's not found in your history. It's not found in your genealogy. It's not found in your pedigree. It is found in one who is coming and is now here. And His name is Jesus. In Him is light and life that is found in no one else. And I love that what one pastor I was reading said. It is an amazing that John had this distinct role of being the very first one to proclaim of the, the, the reality of who Jesus is. He had that distinct, wow, what a pleasure that he got to have that role. What a privilege. But you know what's also incredible? He won't be the last one. He had the privilege of being the first one, but you and I had the privileges until the Lord comes back of being the next ones and the last ones. We carry that same privilege. To point people and say, light and life are not found in anything that we supply, but what in God has promised and provided. He is the miraculous one that can do the extraordinary. But if we look at how, why some people trust Him, we also have to look at why some have rejected Him. Because we could probably all come up with countless examples, but like, yeah, John said that Jesus is through this, but there are several people, even modern day writers, who, who question who Jesus is. Why would they question in that day and even today? Because He came to His own people and His own people did not receive Him. He was in the world and the world was created through Him. Yet the world did not recognize Him. They looked at someone else. And though He was God in the flesh, He looked just like any other created being. Looked like just any other ordinary Joe. And so people looking at Jesus saw this person like, well, you're just like me. 
You're going through the same things I'm going through. I mean, you're sinless and you're not doing the same things I'm doing, but how could you be the creator of the world? How could you, as someone in, in, in flesh, be the one that was at the beginning who spoke and the cosmos happened, who spoke and light came about, who spoke and land appeared, who spoke and vegetation uprooted, and he spoke and the sky was filled with birds and spoke and the sea was filled with creatures. How could you be that one? We can't recognize and reconcile that. Once again, it is something that only God could do to be fully God and fully man in one perfect being. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, meaning his own people, the people of that day, the Jewish nation. They were looking for a different type of Messiah, a political one to rid them of all their troubles, to give them peace in this world, to remove them from suffering, to move them from oppression, to fight away injustice, to give them liberty. They were looking for that perfect pedestal. No one looks for that kind of thing these days. Right? No one looks for that. And while Jesus did not offer that in the earthly way at this coming, He is the one who will be the perfect judge, the perfect king, the perfect ruler for all times. And one day will return to bring about that reconciliation. But because He did not fit the box that people had drawn for themselves, instead of looking at what the Bible had drawn and say, this is the promise, they did not receive Him. You have some that draw their own box and you have some that cannot reconcile how this one who walked the earth could also be God. And yet God did this in coming and laying in that manger on that first Christmas. Fifth, look at what it means to trust in Jesus. What does it mean to trust in Him? We see those that did not receive Him, but what does it mean for those that do? For those that do, it says to all that did receive Him, to every single person who has received that promise, He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in His name, who were not born of a natural descent or of the will of flesh or of the will of God. I mean, of the will of man, but of God. What does it mean to trust? Look at what it means to trust in Him. To those that would believe in Him and trust in Him and receive Him. When you look at what this word of belief and trust, sometimes we get that confused. John is not advocating for us to kind of have just some head knowledge where we kind of look around and think, hmm, sky's a little gray today, probably going to rain. But if it turns blue, I guess it could be different. Either way, I'll just kind of go with the way the wind blows. That's not the type of trust that he's talking about, that that. You know, I kind of feel this way, but any other idea could just sway me to some other direction. No, the trust that it's talking about is a trust that says, I understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has accomplished, and I receive that fully as I repent and place myself in His hands. I receive what only He could offer. I receive light and life that comes only from Jesus to take away death and darkness. 
And not only that, do I receive that promise? I receive adoption. That to those who received Him, to those that saw His open arms and heard His bold, loving words, that see Him for who He is and and receive Him, He gives them the right to be children of God. To carry His name. What weightiness is that? That we are adopted and now have a new name. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. And John makes it us to understand once again, this is not because you were born with some natural descent, because you have some special genealogy. This is not because you worked it out in your own flesh and controlled your own bodies. This is not because of the willpower of man that you thought yourself and it was actualized. That is not it. It wasn't good vibes enough. It wasn't good exercise enough. It was none of that. It was because God willed it to be so. God miraculously said, I choose to do this for them. Mind-blowing how miraculous such a gift is. And this is where the writer invites us to look at how the gospel is found in Jesus. We use this word gospel because it's the word that the Bible uses as gospel, but in its translation it means good news. This is why this good news is so miraculous and found in Jesus. That the one who was at the beginning, who was with God and is God and is infinite in His eternal status, He came to be with us. He came to be with us. And He came to dwell among us so that we would know His very near presence. And the Bible records this so that we today can know His very near presence. That, that He chose to abide and dwell with us. Just as God in the Old Testament chose to abide and dwell with His people through the tabernacle and the temple. Now He has fully come in the, man, uh, in the flesh of a man to do this. And as He came to do this, we were able to see something unique. Something miraculous. That, that, that they recorded and have, pro, and have helped to preserve for us today. That the people then and the people now, as they look in the Word, they can see His glory revealed. As the glorious One. The sufficient one. The one who is perfect. The one who is the one and only Son. And in Jesus, when we look at Him, we see one who is full of grace and truth. You see, the Gospel was revealed there. The Gospel that there is a God who is eternal, who has always existed, and who will always exist. And is, He's the one who has always existed and will always exist. He's able to see every single iota, every single atom in time. 
in movement. He's able to discern every single heart and, and intention of man. He's able to see every single action we've ever done, righteous and unrighteous. And because of that, he sees the offense of our sin. The, you want to know what's passed on because of our genealogy? Sin. Though our very first parents, our, our very first parentage, Adam and Eve, have passed down a spiritual DNA of sin. And that has corrupted each and every one of us. We have all fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. And God who is holy says, I still choose to dwell among the unholy. Because when I come to them, it's not going to infect me. I'm going to infect them with my holiness. I'm going to do something that cures not only the disease and the darkness and the death, but I'm going to change their spiritual DNA by dwelling among them, by being perfect among them, by being observable among them, by showing I am the only one from above and going to the cross for them so that they will see the truth of their sin, the truth of my holiness, the truth of judgment, the truth of wrath. But they can receive in the middle of seeing that truth, the grace that comes from my love, the grace that comes from my provision, the grace that comes from my righteousness, the grace that comes from the price that was fully paid. And when they look at that little baby in a manger and they see the rest of the story, it will carry them to the cross. And it will make them look above to the one who holds the crown. This is how the gospel is found in Jesus. That we, by looking to him, can find the one that chose to dwell among us. And when we receive him, chooses to dwell with us and adopt us into his name. We get to see the one who gives truth and grace. We get to see the one who is divine. We get to answer the miraculous question that every man must answer. Is Jesus who he claims to be? Well, look at the evidence. And it's not evidence that's just here today and gone tomorrow. It's evidence that has been preserved and is still preached and provided not only in this church, but in congregations across the world so that those who hear may believe. You may think, believe, well, today I'm still struggling with that. What, what is it that I need to believe? First of all, you need to believe that Christ's promise has been fulfilled. The Bible and the Old Testament were full of promises that there would be one that would come to one day fix the consequences of sin. Promises in Genesis 3. You would see that there would be one that would one day come and he would end all injustice and rebellion by punishing the wicked and yet bringing mercy to those who repent and trust in him. That's Psalm 2. There's the promise, and these are just a few of them, that, that, that God would send his, his Messiah that would be the suffering servant to be the payment in our place for our sin. That's Isaiah 52 and 53. You would see that God would promise that the coming one would not be just some created one, but He would be the ancient eternal one. That's Daniel and Isaiah chapter 9. So what we need to do, believe, what do we need to believe? That Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the promised one, miraculously coming. To die in our place. To fix what was broken. 
To bring an end to tyranny and oppression from sin. To be the one that would reign forever as King and Lord. To be the one who gives life so that we who are guilty and in darkness and death can find light and life and be reconciled back to God. But we not only need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that carries the right title, because that's what Christ is. Christ was not His last name. He wasn't born to Joseph and Mary Christ. He was Jesus who is the Christ. The Messiah, the promised one. It's His title. But He is also, we need to believe that this Messiah coming one is the Son of God. He is the eternal divine King. Jesus is God. Why is that important? Because only someone could divine, that divine could do all that God had promised to do in the Old Testament. I just read to you four of them. But only a divine one could accomplish all the promises. Only someone divine could be trusted with the absolute power and authority that would be promised to the Messiah. Only a divine one who was holy and good and glorious and full of grace and truth could carry that and not be consumed by it. Only someone divine could be the perfect sacrifice and payment. Someone who is good, holy, and righteous and perfect could pay for one person's penalty of sin. But someone who is divine, that purchase is multiplied infinitely to all who believe. Only one who is divine could be the fulfillment of all the promises that God gave us. What do you need to believe? That Jesus is the miraculous one that was sent. He is the Messiah. But He's also the one who always is, who always was, And who always will be. You need to believe that. What does it mean to believe? Well the nature of faith is trusting one's whole self. Saying God I repent of the way I have lived. And I trust you. And I trust what you and you only can accomplish. That's what it means to believe. It's not just head knowledge. It's not filling out a card. It's not walking a pew. It's not saying a few magic words. It is placing your life in His hands. It is receiving Him as you repent from what was death and darkness. And it is also the question, why do we need to believe? Because just as the writer of John says, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. Before Jesus fulfilling what He came to fulfill, there's the overwhelming struggle and battle with death and darkness. And yes, God provided ways of absolution that were temporary until His sufficient, complete way came. His miraculous way. But John lets us know this because our great need is someone to put the light that will overcome the darkness and the light that moves us from death to life. And the Bible says this Jesus in Him was life. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have life. The writer of John, Jesus' word says, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus, whenever he was seeing the sorrow of Mary and Martha at the, the death of their brother, he told them, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. 
And Jesus, just before, the day before His cross, His crucifixion, He told His disciples that He goes to prepare a place for them. And they must know that that no one can come to Him except through Him. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. What is so amazing and miraculous about that baby? It's because that baby was not just a new life. He was the creator of it. He's the redeemer of it. He's the savior of it. And in him is the only one we have life. In him is the only way we have life. Here's once again what it means to trust Jesus. It's coming and saying, I receive you and I receive life in you. I trust in you. Jesus' offer is not just like the UPS man that many of you may have seen this week in your home with the little packages with the smiley face. Where his transaction is, you come to the door, you open, he lays a box and he goes away. That UPS man is not delivered to you life. He's delivered to you a box. Jesus comes and he says, I come to give you life, but in giving you life, I give you me. I'm not the UPS man that leaves. You want life, you have me. You find it abiding in me. You find it through adoption from me. So the question today is, have you found the miraculous answer to that miraculous question of who Jesus is? Because if you have, and you found Jesus to be who He says He is, I pray that you know what it is to have life by trusting in Him. But perhaps you know that answer, but you've not yet received. And that would be a very dangerous, dangerous life to live. Because you want to treat Jesus like the UPS man. I want you to come into my life, give me a little box when I need it. But that's not abiding in Jesus. That's not the life. That's not trust. That's not faith. Place your faith in Him. And today, if you've come here and maybe the first time light has been illuminated in the darkness to you. You have come to this place where you now realize this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. And this is what it means to place my life in His hands. I pray today would be the day of your salvation. What would that look like? Turning away from the old way and placing your life in Jesus' hands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the miracle. The miracle child who came to save that which was lost. That includes me. That includes my children. That includes my spouse. That includes the people I love. That includes the people that get on my nerves. That includes every single person. I thank you that you came to offer such a miraculous gift that would be peace on earth goodwill towards men it would be joy to all the people it is truly a miracle you are truly a miracle and today as we reflect if we are believers in this room i pray you would help us regard in our heart the treasure that we hold of you the extraordinary miraculous one making yourself known to us 
And that in that it would wellspring in us a renewed sense of joy and peace and hope and love. But I also pray for those in this room that may not have yet come to this place of faith and trust in You. They may not yet have light and life that is found only in You. God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would walk away out of the darkness into Your marvelous light. They would walk away and pass from judgment in from death to life. But God, as we have this time to respond... To respond to that question, you have said and spoken your word. Now will I trust what you are saying? I pray that we would respond in the light of that. Help us, Lord, as your church, as those adopted carrying your name, to do this well. And please, Lord, adopt some more. In Jesus' name, amen.